The Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast channels. Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com for articles, insights, and our complete library of episodes. Support us on Patreon and follow us on social media. Hello, and welcome to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm Sean Prophet. I'm Joe Kipinti. We've got a great show for you this week. We'll talk about the war in Ukraine, the slap heard around the world, and the rampant both sidesism, whataboutism, denial, and general moral cowardice that always accompanies great injustice. We'll talk about the disgraceful and racist display at the confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown Jackson. We're going to talk about intersectionality and how the left tends to eat its own. Later, we're going to celebrate the International Transgender Day of Visibility with a special guest who is my own transgender daughter, Serena Prophet. But first, I want to remind you that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles regularly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. The Radical Secular Podcast is brought to you by Cannibal & Co., located in downtown Jersey City and at shopcannibal.com. Cannibal, that's Cannibal with a K, stocks a rotating collection of goods ranging from apparel and accessories to home furnishings and fine jewelry. Cannibal weaves together its forward-thinking vision with its traditional roots to provide an expertly curated experience of unique and locally sourced finds. We're grateful to Cannibal for sponsoring our show. All right, let's kick off and do our t-shirts. What are you wearing today, Joe? Well, with uh, Serena coming on, which I'm very excited about, I wore this t-shirt, which is kind of weird, but I love it. And this was designed by my uh, godson who came out as transgender a number of years ago. And one of the first people I know that did, like rec- you know, in recent times, and, and he made the shirt and gave it to me as a gift because I'm, you know, just because it was a joke, uh, internal joke kind of thing, right? And uh, so I thought it would be really cool to wear it today. It says to the disco and uh, it's got a unicorn. And who is riding the unicorn? It's a sloth. <laughs> a sloth riding a unicorn. I love it. That's, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't figure out if it was like one of the four horsemen or like what the, what the hell no, is going just, on there. It's, but... just a, it's just a little sloth, but, which is, a, it's, I don't want to get into it, but it's just a joke between us. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I mean, it's like... Uh, that's very special because of it was gifted by a special person uh, and it's related to the show. So I wanted to wear it. Well, yours is much better than mine. Mine is just a general sentiment, which is live long and prosper. Oh, that's awesome too, though. And that is what I want to say to all of my transgender friends today is live long and prosper. And that's, that's just about all there is to it. You have my admiration and support in every way. All right, so let's dig in. The, the topic, first topic is both sidesism, whataboutism, and conspiracy theories. These three things are the bane of justice and accountability. And let's begin by saying that I understand it is painful to confront human evil or even to admit that such a thing exists. It's painful to hold people accountable for their actions. There's a whole host of psychological reasons why this is so. And I can list a few off the top of my head. Number one, holding others accountable means you might be held accountable. 
most people think that they are much worse than they really are, and they tend to magnify their own petty faults. Uh, and most people's faults are really petty. So when they see a public official or a celebrity being held to account for seriously bad behavior, they worry that they themselves might be judged by that same standard, when in reality, most people have very little to worry about. They would have much more to gain by embracing a higher standard. And Secondly, people don't want to give up their own admiration for a celebrity or politician that they previously supported. It means they have to admit that they were wrong, that they misjudged their character. Uh, if it's a musician or film star, now they have to reevaluate their own consumption of that media. And we've seen this time after time where people who haven't wanted to acknowledge the depravity of various celebrities who've taken a fall into disgrace or been convicted of crimes. Um, Third, people have been socialized to believe that there's always two sides to every story and that placing accountability where it belongs is judgmental. And this is wildly wrong. It's a very anti-system, anti-accountability attitude because no society can operate without accountability. And even if there's shared accountability in a situation, we always need to look for who shoulders the preponderance of responsibility. See, when both sizing happens, it's like assigning 50% blame to both the victim and the perpetrator. And that's just not right. If the victim bears any responsibility at all, it's usually a very small fraction. So both sizing always helps the perpetrator and hurts the victim by creating this false equivalency, which is, I just find exasperating. And so this is true across the board. It happens in personal interactions. It happens with government policy. It happens in international relations, as we've seen with Putin's war on Ukraine. And we've seen the high cost, of course, with COVID of not holding people accountable for public health measures, over a million deaths in the U.S. from a pandemic when at least one third to one half of those lives could have been saved with stringent accountability. Just fucking force people to wear their damn masks and get their vaccinations. So <laughs> I don't know. What did I miss here? Why do you think it's so difficult for people to hold their fellow citizens to a higher standard? Uh, it is difficult. It's it's painful. And confronting injustice is painful, Sean. I mean, I concur with everything you said here. I also think it may go deeper still. Uh, we are social beings and we tend to, you know, defer to others in our group, which means often denying evil behavior, bad behavior. We are embedded in systems of hierarchy and that makes us defer even more to people in positions of greater power. I'm sure there are always the rebels and the counterculturalists, but even there, you see the same kind of phenomena with these groups. You often see these groups who purport to fight injustice become sort of myopic about their own bad actions and accountability as well. And then it comes down to what you said in the beginning, that people will have to rationalize uh, and they will turn to things like both sidism and whataboutism and conspiracy theories, which are really, really destructive aside from just being lazy, right? You don't have to think if it's, if it's always going to be, you know, both sides is 50, 50, you don't have to think there's nothing to yeah. it. Right. There's you can no avoid the, yeah. You can avoid the confrontation. I mean, you, and that's, yeah. and that's, what I think what a lot of people are doing is they just don't want to have that confrontation. And, and yet it's far more painful and difficult to live in a world that lacks accountability than to live in a world where there's clear rules and norms for behavior. And we want consequences to be uniformly enforced. It's in yeah, everyone's interest. <laughs> so this constant deflection to provocation though, comes up every single time. I mean, Chris Rock told a bad joke, right? Vladimir Putin, he was afraid of NATO expansion, right? This whole thing works across the board for justifying every manner of injustice in the world. And it also dovetails with victim blaming and the just world fallacy. Everything happens for a reason. And 
you know, also there's this whole idea that there's multiple points of view that can be true at the same time. And, you know, yes, okay, there's definitely nuance and, and we have to, we have to celebrate and, and work towards, um, understanding nuance, right? But that is so quick. Just, just, uh, it is a hair's breadth away from, from falling into postmodernism and, and just, in, you know, nothing, there's, there's no actual truth. There's only interpretations and that kind of stuff. And that's just a whole other kettle of fish that I'd rather ignore. I mean, I know there's people who study this stuff seriously at the university level and, 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 and I'm sure it is a, a serious discipline, but it gets misapplied, uh, so many times in, in the media and, and the right wing has just embraced it almost totally you know, this post-truth stuff. So the overarching real truth of our age, though, that we're apparently having to relearn is this, and that is that fascism, violence, atrocities, and genocide don't happen without the broad-based agreement and consent of a sizable portion of the population. And justifications for all these things appeal to our lower nature, honor culture, and tradition. And ironically, our own aversion to personal conflict is at the core of all of it, right? And, and I want to say here, some of the things we love the most are at the root of our undoing. And those are things like, like tradition, like religion, like nationalism, like nostalgia, like all of these things that make us feel good without being good. And so with that, I want to do a quick update on two of the major stories that we've been following this week. Uh, the first, of course, is the brutal war in Ukraine, which is grinding on into its second month. And the second is this slap heard around the world at the Oscars. At first blush, these two stories don't really seem to have a whole lot to do with each other. But watching the responses play out across social media, it's a very similar pattern. Uh, before I get started, though, Joe, can I get your initial impressions? How are you feeling right now about our collective response to these two events? Yeah, I mean, I have actually a lot to say about this. If I go on too long, just shut me down. <laughs> shut me up or something. But, but first, the, thing, the first thing that comes to mind is... Um, with me is how the same person that I see can express great outrage at Russia attacking the Ukraine or Ukraine, I should say, uh, and also cheer when a man attacks another man because of a verbal insult. Uh, now, you may see these things as grossly disproportionate, and they are. Uh, um, so often when there is violence justified, uh, when it's provoked by fear and anger, though, we have to kind of look at that. There's a where's the line, right? The line is somewhere between these two acts, I suppose, right? Uh, one act on one ex one side and the other on the on the other. Um, but then look at things like uh, the Rittenhouse, Kyle Rittenhouse supporters, right? Um, yeah, cold-blooded murder, right, of two people, scumbag. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. But why aren't Kyle supporters correct then? What makes them wrong? We have to think about that, right? Where's the line? And the fact that he was exonerated by a court of law just goes to show how fuzzy this line is becoming, right? Um, the fuzziness is a degradation that goes into the heart of our institutions. Justifying and even glorifying violence of any kind makes that line fuzzier. So we have to be careful here. I mean, I will say that proportionality does certainly matter. Will Smith's actions themselves do not compare to the greater forms of violence we see with Rittenhouse or the war and so forth. And I won't give credence to people who are condemning Will Smith's slap, but have never once said anything about mass incarceration, right? Or any form of violence right. against people of color. Uh, they don't, for, if, as far as I'm concerned, their motives are suspect. I do understand the sentiments behind those who feel he was justified. 
I do. I, I even value some of those sentiments. But in the end, I do not think that they rise above the principle of nonviolence in this case. And that's, I think, the case we want to make. If we live collectively, share a society, we need clear boundaries, as you mentioned earlier. We need clear accountabilities. When is it okay to attack another person? When is it not clearly self-defense and you attack someone? When is that okay? Walking up to someone and hitting them is against the law. We know that. But the law is not enough. There has to be a shared civil, civil or civic understanding, right? Otherwise, eventually the laws erode and they give away. And this is what we're seeing. This is what we saw with the Rittenhouse case. The invasion of the, the Ukraine, uh, likewise, broke all kinds of international codes of conducts and laws. Uh, can Russia justify it? Yes, they can. They can justify it, and they are. And it's meeting success in a lot of places that you wouldn't expect. And, and every time that happens, those codes of conduct and those laws lose their power. They become less important. Uh, there has to be a global understanding, right? Each and every time a nation breaches that conduct, um, the line gets more fuzzy, and, and the line threatens to disappear altogether. This is what we are worried about. So shared civil principles really do matter, whether it's at the local level or whether it's international. They are the fabric of our civilization. They are the fabric of international order. Uh, the laws will not hold without these shared principles. The laws will give way. Um, the shared belief in democracy is eroding, and that is why we are seeing Americans being disenfranchised again in wet states. It's the same, same kind of thing. So, no, I think violence is wrong unless it's explicitly as a reason for self-defense. And I think we need to say that. Uh, even though, you know, listen, I love Will Smith. I, I've watched him since he was his first movie, which I can't remember the name of, but it was awesome. Uh, he, he's a really good actor. And I, I will still watch his stuff. And, I, and I'm not going to judge him by one action. I'll judge him by the whole of his life. Right? And I think that's what you should do. But... At the same time, we have to be clear about those standards and about our principles. And in a way, our trauma in America is chronic. We're not being bombed like Ukraine, but we have gone through years and years, decades, really, of a slow, poisonous change in our society. It, and it's no less damaging, um, like things like war. We aren't dying of bombs, but we're dying of despair. And we're dying of a million people from the pandemic. And no, yeah. many people are doing fine. I get that. If you're one of those people that's doing fine, you might be wondering what the hell I'm saying, what I'm talking about. But societies don't drop in life expectancy over the last five years as, as we have, unless there's something really messed up. They just don't, not in the modern world. There are so many indicators that we are having problems, serious problems in America, suicides, overdoses, depression, anxiety in our children, right? That are at really explosive rates and they're all getting higher, all these things. So that slap, I think, touched the trauma. It triggered our wounded nation and some people felt relief and even celebrated the, uh, this man's making a hurt, you know, slapping a guy who made a hurtful joke. He got what he deserved. That's kind of been a driving force, don't you think, Sean, in our, in our politics, this force of retribution, we want to strike back, hurt those who have hurt us, right? Others experience yeah. this 
violence in a different way. It touched them in a, in a, in a, it touched their own victimization. Maybe they were victims of violence before. It touched the fears and angst above violence across our nation, like shootings, you know, uh, gun violence, hate crimes, self-inflicted violence, even, right? Like, um, the alcoholism, depression, suicide. So what we should do if we can is use this event to grow, heal and learn. And I think that's what we need to do. Yeah. Well, I would say that, I mean, I do, I do blame and fault Will Smith. I probably won't um, be a fan of his anymore. And I, I, I do want to say in, you know, in his defense a little bit that I've spoken to a, a you know, therapist friend of mine who we talk on Facebook a fair amount, and he brought up the issue of trauma and p- p- perhaps Will Smith's response was a response to his own unprocessed trauma. And we can, we, you know, and, and you, you touched on that in, in your last segment there. And, but at the same time, this is a man who has everything. He is, you know, a multi-millionaire many times over, you know, I don't know how much he's worth, but it's a lot. And he was also doing this in front of, you know, an audience of maybe approximately a billion people, something in that, you know, hundreds of millions of people anyway, watching this thing. And so the example that he set, it's so disproportionate, right? And we need to look for win-win solutions. And I think it's, I think in his case, it sort of falls in the category of to whom much is given, you know, from them much is expected. And mm-hmm. he let a lot of people down point. Uh, t- today. And, 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 and I think it also is another one of these events that has divided the nation and immediately people divided, you know, into teams. And this is a very, very bad indicator of the fault lines in our society because, and I think it's way worse than it seems. I think it's a, I think it's a very uh, important sort of milestone on the way to a barbaric society. And mm. so we have our first team who believes that, you know, like me, that Will Smith was unequivocally wrong to slap Chris Rock. He should have been arrested on the spot or dragged out of the auditorium by security, <laughs> not given a choice in the matter. Uh, and he should lose his Oscar. I mean, I just, I think that it's a travesty, even if he keeps the Oscar, it's always going to have an asterisk by it. And, you know, we were hearing things like, you know, comedy clubs having to hire more security because they're worried about people coming up and, you know, p- punching comedians in the face. Right. It's like a, a Pandora's box has been opened here. And there's a second team, okay, that believes that Chris Rock provoked Will Smith with his joke and that he was justly defending his wife's honor. And I can't even tell you how many liberals I've seen on there talking about how, oh, you know, I would have done the same thing. And, you know, this is, you know, he totally deserved that. And, and this is what you're talking about. Retribution. We descend into retribution as a society. Then we are not looking for win-win outcomes. It is an anti-system attitude. It is like, uh, you know, tit for tat. I mean, tit for tat is even the name of a, of a game and game theory. Right. And so it's like, um, we are above this. We are above this as a nation, or we should be. Apparently, we're not. But um, there's the third team that just, you know, they're the laziest of all and the worst of all. And they're the conspiracy team that believes the whole thing was staged. And I, I can't even engage with that. If, if it was no. staged, why was there a need for an apology? Even as weak as Will Smith's apology was, he admitted he did it and he admitted it was wrong. So, um, but the template of this response is almost identical to the response that we see in America to every injustice from the depravity of the Trump years, you know, victim blaming immigrant children, for example, you know, to the Ukraine war, 
uh, to 9-11, you know, like the Muslims felt oppressed and so they could attack our buildings, right? Um, uh, Sandy Hook even, you know, the, the, the truthers and, and the deniers and saying it was staged and the crisis actors. We've lost the ability as a culture to deliver a clear verdict on absolutely anything. Every atrocity, no matter how bad the damage or loss of life, has its defenders or deniers. Or, or people, you know, the, the evidence is right on video, right in front of their eyes. Think about the George Floyd murder, right? Or, or mm-hmm. Ahmaud Arbery. Right. Everyone saw these murders and it still took monumental effort to put those people in jail or the cops in jail. What hope do we have of restoring justice if people routinely can't even agree on what happened or what it means? Well, we don't, honestly. As I said, principles matters and so does truth. There's no chance for justice and accountability otherwise, Right. <laughs> Most people are now focusing on the fake news, all truths, as the great problems in our society, and they are. But so is the disintegration of the social contract. It's a constellation of beliefs about how people should conduct themselves. It is not part of a social contract to use violence on our fellow citizens to resolve problems or disputes. Um, Apparently not so much anymore. And other considerations can take priorities. As you said, it, be- it becomes fuzzy, it becomes unclear. We rationalize, we, we equivocate. Uh, and and it absolutely, as you said in the beginning, nuance, processing, interpretation, all of that is important, but it has to be done in the right context. And we also have to make keep our principles clear. Um, and we need to talk about, you know, the fact that we're losing that clarity and we are and for reasons that are across the board you mentioned some of them earlier with postmodernism and so forth um if we believe that mlk said the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice uh, we must also believe that it does so because we are bending it towards justice and that's why we have to adhere to those principles um, language is metaphorical, I get it, and we don't always use the terms that way. So if people say that, it doesn't really bother me because I said, you know, maybe they're just saying it metaphorically as a way of honoring MLK or whatnot. But the principles still stand. There are many other more explicit things I sometimes feel like I don't want to get into that narrative stuff because there's so many other things to talk about. I do have to admit, though, that, you know, I thought it the same as a slap in the first. I don't want to get into it. It's more things to worry about. Uh, but these things have a way of sneaking up on you, right? I mean, like you, you ignore them, but they accumulate. And you yeah. at some point you have to take a stand. Um, after reading David Greber's book, like we're reading for the, because we're going to do a show on it. It's a great book, The Dawn of Everything. To me, it's much more apparent now that humanity can take, take deep plunges into injustices that can last centuries or thousands of years. Um, there's no guarantee the social progress will just simply continue. We have to work for it and it's hard and we're working for it now, even though it's, it's painful to take a stand in this issue because we, it causes a lot of stress and division. It's also the work we need to do. Absolutely. And I, I, I think I almost like as you're talking about this MLK thing, and I know we went back and forth on that, um, uh, Christoph and I, and we've had uh, other discussions, you and I on, on, on other shows. And I, I, I want to like 
we should start, you know, like call our show the benders, right? Where are the active people in that, in that bending of the moral arc? We are the benders, right? And so we have to be the benders. And I know that sounds like a drug binge, but <laughs> it's still like, if, if we're going to use that quote, we have to have, you know, take the active role, the active voice. And I can't stress that enough. Um, for me, you know, there are cultural touchstones. There are events that represent inflection points. Yeah. And, you know, th this Oscar slap was unequivocally assault and battery. Uh, the LAPD was there ready to arrest Will Smith. Chris Rock said, no, don't. I'm not pressing charges. So um, that is, you know, there's a clear uh, the cops already saw, thought they saw enough. They had enough evidence to arrest him. And, you know, I hate spending time on what seems like a triviality. Uh, we we have to. Because this incident is a symptom of the deeper sickness of non-accountability and barbarism that's seeping into our society like a toxic sludge. Uh, before we move on, I want to read a quote from the response by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which I think is the gold-plated take on this issue. Uh, he begins, When Will Smith stormed onto the Oscar stage to strike Chris Rock for making a joke about his wife's short hair, he did a lot more damage than just to Rock's face. With a single petulant blow, he advocated violence, diminished women, insulted the entertainment industry, and perpetuated stereotypes about the black community. Full stop. I mean, I fully agree with this, and I think it's pretty much the only take that doesn't engage in some form of moral deflection. And, you know, Abdul-Jabbar hits all the notes there. And I, I want to mention also that there's already been pushback onto Kareem Abdul-Jabbar from yeah, others in the it. black community. And um, uh, Karan Phillips of the Baltimore Sun claims in Deadspin that, you know, Abdul-Jabbar is old, out of touch, punching down and pandering to white expectations that the entire black community should be judged for the actions of one person. And also that, like you said, that Will Smith shouldn't be judged for a single action. And maybe he shouldn't. I mean, I don't know what the ultimate verdict is going to be here. I, I just want to see something. And, you know, but the part that would... Karan Phillips really screwed up here when he said uh, that Jada Pinkett Smith shouldn't be, quote, required to be the butt of someone's terrible joke and an unpaid prop for the public's entertainment. I mean, holy living fuck. I'm sorry, but no one said that Jada Pinkett Smith had to be happy about that joke. That is not the issue. OK, the central issue here is the barbaric escalation from words to violence in front of a global audience. And by the way. I have to say this, that there are numerous examples of Smith making bald jokes, fat jokes, and every other type of joke that could be considered mean-spirited or inappropriate. And look, um, according to the flawed rules of intersectionality, which I'll be talking about later, as a white man, I shouldn't even be commenting on this. And that's horseshit, of course, because black culture is fully American culture and the entirety of American culture is impacted by this. So everyone has a right to comment. But let's really take this this pushback, okay, Phillips, what he's claiming. The first part that Kareem is old and out of touch, it's just straight up ad hominem. We can set that aside. It doesn't hold water. Um, the substance of Phillips' argument, though, seems to be the objection that the black community should be judged by the actions of one man. And I agree. They should not. Any more than white people are collectively judged for the actions of one white man. It's preposterous. It's collective guilt. It's all the things we know that are wrong. But... Abdul-Jabbar is acknowledging the reality in America today. Black people will be judged for this incident. And Will Smith should have been aware of that. He is, I'm certain, aware of that. And as for him being judged or canceled over a single incident, 
No, I don't think anyone's asking for that. Everyone will make up their own minds as to whether they want to continue consuming Will Smith's movies and music, and the Academy will take whatever action it sees fit. I hope they revoke his Oscar. Now, let's move on. I, I really hope I never have to talk about this again. The reason I've spent so much time on this, what I call shameful slapdashery, is because it's the first thing that really grabbed America's attention and turned it away from the horrific war in Ukraine. And at first, I was really irritated at that what I called a non-troversy was taking people's attention away from more important matters. But then I realized that the exact same template of responses has been washing through social media channels about the Ukraine war over the past month. The both sidesism, the victim blaming, the whataboutism about America's past wars, the blaming of NATO for provoking the war. Will Smith's defenders are using the exact same script Vladimir Putin is using albeit on a much larger scale, to justify uh, the vicious destruction of Ukraine, really just for the crime of existing as a free and democratic nation. Uh, and about that, I sadly also lost a friend this week who was a former guest on the Radical Secular. He's fallen prey to Russian propaganda, and I can't and won't stomach anyone who actively defends Russian aggression. I mean, we, what we're seeing on a daily basis is a horror show that we just haven't seen. And it's unclear to me how... Russia's unprovoked atrocities can garner any support whatsoever among people of conscience. But I guess that's really why there's a war, isn't it? If only Russia's defenders could be forced to experience this situation on the ground, the hunger, the rape, the starvation, the the destruction of, of medical facilities. I mean, how can anyone justify this? But what it comes down to, I think, is that people are long on rationalization and short on empathy. And I just wonder if you have any more thoughts on any of this. Well, as an academic, we analyze everything. We interpret things. We, and we want to find out the basis behind the motivations behind this war. So that can be, we have to be very careful because that can be taken as excuses and often are. They these are comments are expropriated by those who want to make excuses, right? Like, you know, early in the, in the climate change issue, you know, scientists would, would say, you know, we can't prove this or that because scientifically we can't, we don't have all the evidence yet. And then people, you see, you see, they don't know, you know, mm -hmm. you know it's mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And so you have to always be careful. And so it matters who your audience is. It matters how you frame things. I think we do have to be morally clear, ethically clear about things like violence. And that should take priority over, you know, making comments that could be taken, you know, for a ride and, and cause harm. Uh, I think analysis is good, though, and I think interpretation is, uh, is necessary because we do want to avoid it in the future. So if we can set the conditions for this not happening again, then we should. And the only way to do that is to have a good analysis, an honest appraisal of the situation. If there were things that provoked Russia in history, then we need to know it and we need to do better, right, for the next time. And so this is complicated and it's tricky. In terms of, of the, you know, the slap and, and all of the sort of cultural stuff that's come up, very important. I don't minimize it at all. Uh, it's very important stuff, but I fall back to the truism. There is, there is a difference between what should be and what is. It's just like there is in Russia. It's always, we want to look at what is. That's science, that's analysis. The shoulds are the morals, the ethics, and all that, which are also important. So we need to figure out how to do both without them contra 
compromising each other. Uh, there are a lot of ridiculous and unfair ways, as you said, of people of color that are judged, right? How women are judged. Uh, uh, anyone who's in the lower rung of the hierarchies of, of social power are, are used and judged that way. That women have to represent all women or people of color have to represent all people of color is a horrible thing to do to people, right? People are human beings. You know, that's a great burden to put on them. But at the same time, you know, it is the reality of the situation. Obama acted with great extra grace and compassion as a president, uh, rarely, rarely ever showing anger or frustration uh, because he was being judged by a different standard and he knew it and he knew the consequences of not performing that way. Uh, it's not fair. Uh, it's not fair that a professional woman has to do extra well to be considered the same level as a man. We need to change that. Uh, but it has not changed for a lot of people. The fact is that a lot of people do not want to distinguish between the individual and the group. Rather, they look for excuses to bolster their ugly biases that way. And there are many more that won't do that necessarily consciously, uh, but they do it unconsciously. And so right or wrong is a famous actor. Will Smith's actions do shape the opinions about black men. They just do. And so, at, you know, the higher status, the higher the society has gifted you with privilege and prestige, wealth and so forth. I think there is a measure of responsibility that has to rise to that occasion. I mean, I think that's only fair. And I, for my part, I think that's what the conversation should be about. We should be, first of all, making the unfairness of how we judge people on, on, on classes and, and identity explicit so we can do better and deal with them. But we also have to hold people accountable, especially those people who have a greater share of power. Um, I do have something to say about intersectionality. I know you want to talk about this later, but it's a good time to bring it up now, I think. Um, it's become a central focus. It. It's a central focus of social justice, and I may not make some people happy what I'm going to say, but the ideology of different levels of human flourishing centered around intersectionality is dysfunctional on the left. It's not working for us. It's not working for America. You can see the confusion it causes in this case with Will Smith. Does the suffering of a black woman with a disability um, about hair, which is a signifier of identity, um, does that take priority over um, a hard slap committed by a rich and famous black man or another rich and famous black man in front of millions or even hundreds of millions of people? How do you parse that from thinking about intersections? Uh, who has the right to speak about what happened in terms of these intersections? And as you can see, we, you, you mentioned earlier yourself, the arguments are all over the place and there's camps forming. Right. And that's to be expected. And then we passionately fight about it <laughs> and we separate ourselves about it. And that's dysfunctional. I mean, we have we have to come together. Uh, intersectionality itself isn't wrong. It's a very important concept. Uh, what we can measure is how different uh, traditionally marginalized experiences intersect with power and, and then in chances in life. We can hold people accountable on that basis for discrimination, for greed, for looking at down at others, for punching down, all of that stuff. But it is most often not being applied that way. Um, what we need to think about is who has agency, who has power, how are they using 
these things to hurt other people? These are the intersectional questions we need to address. Uh, this should be the focus. This should be the focus of the left. We need to use successful narratives to deal with social justice. For my part, what I try to do is acknowledge the real injustices and the frustrations that traditionally marginalized people feel. I try very hard to empathize with it. What is also very critical is to use narratives that build bridges, to organize, to unite. The need for collective action and good strategy could not be greater today. The game of power cannot be ignored. This narrative about intersectionality is a real problem. Yeah, it is. And it came up for me, uh, when I was talking about Kirsten cinema, but I, I want, before we go into that, before I, I, I give my whole, whole, um, response and elaboration on what you just said, I want to, I, I want to just briefly touch on the sliming of Katanji Brown Jackson, okay. because yeah, I think important. that's a, it's, you know, it's, it's another terrible example of a, of, of, of an injustice because we have this, this person who, did, you know, did everything right was wildly successful and and is is esteemed you know uh in 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 everything she's ever done and she's being hauled up in front of the senate and treated shamefully i mean and and she is set to become america's newest supreme court justice and uh it's sad for me that her appointment isn't going to shift the ideological makeup of the court she's probably not going to be writing too many uh, majority opinions which is you know we we need <laughs> We, we need to hear from someone like her. Uh, but we've got this 6-3 conservative court. But still, the appointment is a matter of principle, and it's another promise kept by President Joe Biden to nominate a black woman to the highest bench. And so uh, I'm extremely excited this is happening. It's historic. Um, what's not clear is why Republicans put up such a fight when it's a liberal justice replacing another liberal. But they did, and it wasn't a fair fight. Uh, Jackson is eminently qualified by any standard, having already been confirmed three times by the U.S. Senate with bipartisan support and serving 10 right. years on the federal bench. Right. So why are we even having hearings? She's already been confirmed. You know, she's a Harvard grad, cum laude, by the way, and former editor of the Harvard Law Review. Her accolades are too numerous to fully list here, but she's received the support of labor unions, including the famously conservative Fraternal Order of Police. In other words, if she were white, she would be a slam dunk. And instead, a rogues gallery of Republican senators grilled her for three days using demeaning and thinly coded racist language. Notably, Lindsey Graham, who had previously voted to confirm Jackson, suddenly attacked her with a shocking ferocity. He accused her of being lenient to child molesters, which is bad enough. But he also browbeat her, interrupted her repeatedly and used her as a punching bag to air past Republican grievances. Not to be outdone, Ted Cruz harped once again on the old Republican brickbats about critical race theory, <laughs> affirmative action, and gender ideology, and he flashed a children's book called Anti-Racist Baby, as if that were a bad thing, you know, um, <laughs> you know or we anything want at all. racist babies, man. Yeah, let's have racist babies, right? Okay. Uh, as if this... but. It's also not relevant, not relevant to the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice. No. She didn't write the book. She had nothing to do with it. So, um, but the crowning insult came from Senator Marsha Blackburn, who asked Jackson to define the word woman, if you can even imagine. A loaded question baiting her into taking a position about transgender rights. Jackson did not take the bait, saying, I'm not a biologist. And this topic obviously deserves to be treated with nuance, which wasn't anywhere found in the Republican line of questioning. It's just hard to imagine 
at all a greater travesty than a female senator asking a female Supreme Court nominee to define the word woman. I mean, what an insult to all the women who have sacrificed to get both of those people into those positions. What did you make of that spectacle, Joe? Well, you know, this is just classic behavior by the religious right in particular, the right in general, but particularly the religious right. They will employ notions of perversion and obscenity as strategies of power. Whether that's about, you know, uh, child molesters or transgender, that's their stick. Uh, there's a whole cult, right? QAnon that's developed around it. Uh, there's, there's, you know, the, and honestly, the entire Trump cult, you can say, has done the same. Uh, the treatment of uh, Kentaji Brown Jackson in the nominee hearing resonates with scores of anti-LGTBQ plus laws being passed in red states. It's the same. And we can go back to the last show we did. And talk about, you know, the, the connections between the war in Ukraine and this narrative. Um, this stoke out perversion, this get rid of this, let's go and, and destroy anything that's perverted in our society mentality, this, this sort of like crusade uh, is really medieval. It's the same impulse that inquisitors used, you know, to do their devastation. The same thing with the Nazis and Nazis used the same rhetoric. It is always found behind theocratic power. It is found behind fascism. In democracies, perversion is also a way to leverage people's fears and biases um, for the purpose of control and the acquisition of power in elections. And in turn, it undermines those very democracies and the principles which they stand for. Yeah, I mean, you know, this, this whole thing about not, you know, being too lenient or whatever. I mean, there are sentencing guidelines for people, right? I mean, it, you know, a lot of people and, and, you know, there could be an argument made that child rapists, you know, maybe, you know, should get the death penalty or something. I mean, there it's a very heinous crime. And so it's easy to demagogue on that crime. Um, I'm not making the argument, by the way, that they should get the death penalty. But what I am saying is that um, it, is, it is a very emotionally uh, galvanizing right. issue that is easy, super easy to just uh, to demagogue. And, and, you know, you weren't, you know, you were going to let these people go, you know, basically when, when she was really in, in reality, handing on like 10 year sentences or 15 year sentences or whatever. So I, I you know, I don't, um, I, I just have a couple more observations culturally, because I thought it was very notable in contrast to the Oscars to see Katanji's husband, Patrick G. Jackson, offering his wife quiet comfort throughout this whole shameful proceeding. And this is a man who had every reason to want to vigorously defend his wife from a torrent of verbal abuse. And he did not punch or slap any senators. Imagine that. I just like all you people out there who think that, you know, Will Smith was defending his wife's honor. What about Patrick Jackson, man? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, let's also talk about Mitch McConnell, who stated on March 3rd on the Guy Benson show, according to Snopes, that there was no question that Judge Jackson was qualified for the Supreme Court. Yet on March 24th, he grandstanded on the Senate floor that he, quote, cannot and will not support Judge Jackson for a lifetime appointment. I mean, is there a worse example that you can think of open racist piggery than that? It's just the worst. And I do want to clarify a point that you made. Um, these Republican senators, you know, Graham, Hawley, and so forth, they went after uh, Judge Brown, uh, I'm sorry, Judge Jackson, for these supposedly weak sentencing decisions involving child sexual images that you mentioned. Uh, and they were, like I said, they were playing to the QAnon madness. 
Uh, but Judge Jackson's sentences were in line with other federal judges, and a lot of it was just bullshit, right? Yeah. The sentencing guidelines were from the 1980s. They were created, they were stricter, they were beefed up guidelines, and they were created, you know, based on the crime committed. So the, the history of the defendant, the other factors and so forth, but the basis for ratcheting up the punishment was the volume of images received or transmitted, Right. So that played into the severity of the, the sentence. But this was during the age of snail mail. Right. And on the mm -hmm. Internet, with one click, you can receive and distribute images thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of times faster. And so yeah. Judge Jackson was involved in updating them to make these laws rational and fair. And that's what yeah. they were harassing her about. The GOP attacked based on a mass incarceration logic. And we've had enough of that. Right. Blindly throwing people in prison. And that's against well, our Constitution. Whole other uh, topic. But these guys are in the pockets of the private private prison. Well, industry, there's that so. too. Right. <laughs> but it's just barbaric. It's brutal log logic that no one in a democracy that has rights should tolerate. Right. It's a, it, the GOP is not only being racist here, which they are. They're being medieval hacks. No one should take them seriously. And the fact that some, much of the country does take them seriously is a real testament to our decline. Jackson acted wisely and with distinction in this case. And I want to make that clear. Absolutely. Well, I'm, gl I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, we took the time to talk about this because it was just as this was going on and I'm seeing this this shit show. Uh, it was just making my blood boil. I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I, I, when I see, uh, you, you know, an American who has overcome all of the obstacles that Judge Jackson has overcome and is, is conducts herself with grace and skill and, and just, and, and wisdom that we need, desperately need. And I see her treated like that by these hacks. I mean, it just, it's anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'm glad you already delved quite deeply into the topic of intersectionality because I'm going to read a fairly lengthy Facebook post that I wrote this week on the topic, which came up because I liked and commented on a post about the complete embarrassment of Kirsten Cinema wearing another one of her wild and frivolous outfits in the halls of Congress. Now, a woman piped up on my comment and replied I was body shaming the senator, even though I explained it wasn't about the outfit. It was about the context and the hypocrisy of it. I think her comment was in extremely bad faith, which really stemmed from the fact that she clearly didn't think that a man should even be holding an opinion about any woman's clothing, no matter the context. And it, it seems like she claimed that she felt uh, by saying this, I was limiting all women's clothing choices, including her own. And once that accusation of body shaming was made and thrown out there, there wasn't anything I could say in my own defense. She wouldn't even discuss the topic in the way I had framed it. I was just guilty in her mind of an offense against women. And, and by the way, this is this is a person who is uh, has been in the leadership of the of like uh, the Arizona humanists. Right. I mean, this is not just just anybody. This is somebody who should definitely know better. Uh, and, and her her response to me, you know, it was it was it was hurtful. And it also led me to write what I'm about to read to you. So here goes. Intersectionality is important. It says, first of all, that the combined impacts of oppression and marginalization are greater than the sum of their parts. For example, a person can be a member of an oppressed race, they can be congenitally disabled, they can be poor, they can lack education, they can be an immigrant classified as an outsider, they can be elderly, or they can be a member of an oppressed gender category, someone with a minority sexual orientation, a non-believer, or a believer in a minority religion. 
They might be a crime victim or a victim of chronic physical or sexual assault. They might suffer from a wide variety of mental or physical health problems. Any one of these things can represent a severe challenge, a challenge not faced by members of young, healthy, straight, white, Christian, or male majorities in America, okay, uh, or majorities anywhere in the world. I mean, uh, oppression is, it's like, it, it makes life so much more difficult. And I think that privileged people don't understand it. Um, so when a person is a member of multiple oppressed groups, these challenges compound often exponentially. Further intersectionality broadly implies that those best qualified to report on the experience of marginalized groups are the members of those groups, particularly when a person is in multiple marginalized categories. An example might be a non-binary, atheist, pansexual, black, first-generation immigrant. I mean, that person's experience is so far removed from the experience of white, straight, Christian, male, American citizens as to render each almost incomprehensible to the other. But there are more subtle gradations. For example, white straight males such as myself have every possible privilege in the United States. But I'm also an atheist and a democratic socialist and the child of cult leaders, which renders me potentially unelectable were I to run for public office. And in a wide range of places in the country, it renders me unemployable unless I were able to conceal my political and religious beliefs and my past. So in no way am I saying that this means I'm oppressed in the same way as those in marginalized communities. I guess discrimination against atheists and liberals is a form of oppression, but it certainly doesn't rise to the level of what many other groups experience in the U.S. of A. I'm just pointing out that when you really examine the concept of intersectionality, the Venn diagrams get so deep as to render us all in some way unique in our experiences. Um, so the goal of intersectional analysis must be to reach an understanding of people who have very different experiences and life circumstances than yourself, to be able to engage in perspective taking, to imagine yourself in their shoes. This takes some work. People tend to be incredibly self-justifying in their perspectives, magnifying their own struggles while discounting the unique struggles of others. By listening to the perspectives of those in marginalized groups, particularly those with multiple intersections, People not in those circumstances can gain a greater sense of what kinds of policies, norms, and ethics would lead to improvements for those marginalized groups. This is an important mission, full stop, for intersectionality. Okay, but there is a sort of mission creep with intersectionality, and that is to make the terrible assumption that whenever some issue arises that impacts intersectionally oppressed people, that those people are the only ones who should be able to speak about that issue. This has given rise to terms such as mansplaining or whitesplaining. The original meaning of those terms had to do with a less qualified man or white person explaining something to a more qualified woman or black person. Obviously, that should never happen. People who are recognized experts in their field should be given the respect they deserve on their topic of expertise, regardless of race or gender. And anyone who flaunts their racial or gender privilege to try to contradict that expert about that topic is making an utter toxic fool of themselves. But that's not the same thing as saying that members of marginalized groups are right 100% of the time. It's not the same as saying that members of dominant groups don't have the right to engage in civil discussion and disagreement about those issues. And this is my beef. This has come up recently on several occasions and represents an ongoing problem we need to ad address in service of the goal of greater equality and justice. One example is that white Americans expressing outrage about Russia's invasion of Ukraine get accused of selective outrage because they might not be currently as upset about the Saudi government's atrocities in Yemen or about past colonialist atrocities, right? Or about American military adventurism in Iraq, Afghanistan, or Libya. This is all bullshit whataboutism that only makes the world worse. Past wrongs don't make a current right, and citing past wrongs often deflects from current accountability. And a second example is 
of course, the deflection from Will Smith's infamous slap to issues of Chris Rock's insensitivity toward issues of discrimination against black women's hair or health issues. A third example is that discussing Kirsten Cinema's outrageous clothing choices in conjunction with her betrayal of voting rights and the betrayal of all the feminists who sacrificed throughout history to make it possible for her to become a senator generated accusations of body shaming. Folks, this is a toxic muddling of issues on all counts. I'm unequivocally against discrimination against black people's hairstyles, especially those caused by disease. And the Crown Act has written protections against such discrimination. It's a, the law in California and was just passed by the U.S. House of Representatives. This bill needs to become law across the nation. I'm also unequivocally against the violation of national sovereignty and the targeting of civilian populations, no matter who does it. We need a strengthened United Nations with the capacity to punish nations who violate international law. I'm also unequivocally against body shaming of any woman or man for any reason, except this is unfortunately not so simple because... Kirsten Cinema's quirky personal style would not be an issue for any liberal if her politics were as liberal as her outfits. And also, no liberal woman has to worry that criticism of cinema will spill over into their own wardrobe choice. This is the entire point that I was making that cinema's ultra liberal clothing choices represent a form of hypocrisy for someone who is as corrupt as her, who has flippantly betrayed every liberal principle. I can't believe I'm the only one who sees this. So, I reject the idea that my whiteness or maleness prevents me from speaking about any issues of national or global importance. It's not in keeping with liberalism to silence anyone's perspectives, and I won't tolerate that nonsense from the left any more than I'm going to tolerate the right trying to silence my atheism or, or my advocacy for socialism. So that's my post, Joe. I, I really want to get your take on the issue because the whole time I was writing it, I was wondering what you'd have to say about it. So <laughs> take it away. Hey, listen, I mean, is a, I think you said a lot of good things there. I agree with a lot of it. I really do. Uh, probably all of it, honestly. Um, but, um, and it's something I've thought about for many, many years. I've been a person involved in hard left politics for 40 years, right? I've, you know, marched with Jesse Jackson and in the 1980s and all the way through, you know, and so I've, I've had to deal with this all my life. This idea of intersectionality has really changed over time. It wasn't like it is now. Uh, it's become a lot more sort of superficial in many ways that I see. And like you said, it's used like a club. It's used like a club yeah. a lot. And, and as you said, it's a very important concept that we need to consider. We need to take seriously. Um, but it's it's got to be more than just a rote compilation of how grieved identities stack together. Right. All mm -hmm. of these terms should be used with care. All of these social justice terms should be used with thought and with purpose. Uh, what I find really depressing is that so many of these com comments by people on the left are, are so superficial. There's a difference between a principle and a slogan or a meme. And body shaming, for example, is a real problem. It needs to be considered. It needs to be taken seriously. But it's a, t it's a topic that deserves depth and nuance. It should not be applied like a rhetorical weapon, as you said, to just to silence people, because that's easy to do, right? It deserves better than that. Yes, men talk over women and think they know better, and we, and especially, uh, you know, in terms of their expertise being denied. And we call that mansplaining. But now mansplaining has become something different, right? Um, it should be just used for, the, for that purpose. It should not be used as a power play to shut down reasonable and legitimate discourse. And that, does, that doesn't help anyone, right? It doesn't no. help anyone. And as you can see with Will Smith's controversy, 
we see a lot of people claiming white splaining and able splaining and other forms of splaining, and they're all mad about it. And it seems to me if we just keep building the, the, these categories and then using them to declare them unassailable to anyone outside of them, understanding how others feel and that you need to be silent, um, that is not going to take us to a better place. If we're evolving towards a better understanding of human identity, it should not be based on exclusion. Uh, we humans do not share the same experiences. That's very true. There are different levels of injustices, of course, and we should be sensitive to all that, factor it in. But we also are social beings with amazing abilities to be able to empathize and understand each other. We can intellectually abstract from our own lives and analyze how others experience life. We can emotionally connect um, in very deep and profound ways. Uh, you know, so if any of us are trying to do those things, it is worthy to acknowledge that we can have meaningful conversations together, despite our differences. In the end, it is about listening to others who have different ex life experiences, especially those that have led to discrimination and injustice. You said it well before. It is about deferring at times even when you do not share in that suffering and being willing to be, be more silent and step back. That is appropriate sometimes. It really is, right? Uh, as a white male, I do that sometimes. I, I, I may have something to say, but I'll just keep it to myself because, you know, it's important to give other voices an opportunity. Those are all good things. But we also must be oriented towards truth debate, discussion, openness, and growth. It's not always an easy journey. You know, I've done it for 40 years, but it is a possible one. I think I've managed pretty well. <laughs> I admit I've failed many times, but over the course of time, I think most people in communities uh, that are marginalized have appreciated me in that sense as a white man, and have been, have been actually very, very responsive and very kind. So I, I don't want to say this is a, a, something that's across the board. It tends to be a minority view, this, but it, it's there and it's very vocal. And it does, and like I said, it, it's causing us to be more dysfunctional than we need to be. Well said. I think that you have managed pretty well. I, I can't imagine anyone having a problem with you. So, oh, it's um, happened. <laughs> it's happened. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the rule for me, I mean, if I could sum all of this up, it's like build bridges, not walls. We don't need walls between each other on the left. We need to unite in common purpose. And with that, I want to introduce our guest, Serena Prophet. She is a musician director, motion picture editor, and computer programmer from Los Angeles. So without further delay, The Radical Secular presents Serena Prophet. Hi, Serena, and welcome to the show. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. Um, I would like to ask you how and when you first realized that you did not identify as male. I don't know. I, I think that um, I think that growing up in the valley made it a lot harder to uh, figure out when that figure that out for myself. I I always like looked at the guys like always like trying to fight and just like so aggressive and just like angry like and and very macho and like against. If you ever called anyone gay in the valley, you better be their best friend or you better 
fucking know how to run because they're there's a lot of extreme homophobia out in the valley that, that you just would not expect. Yeah. yeah. Um, to be clear, you're talking about the San Fernando Valley, right? In uh, Southern Fernando. California. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, um, I would say it took me until about when I was 26 and I, well, no, 26, I realized I, or I, I finally admitted to myself I wasn't a straight cis male. And then 27, um, was, probably when I realized that I identified, uh, sexually, um, personally and, uh, in in many other ways as a woman just kind of fit me better. But, and here's the kicker. And I hope uh, I, I, I might get a lot of hate for this, but I don't plan on finishing my transition. And, um, this is kind of something that I don't know. I, there, there might be a lot of controversy around. I, I really don't know, but I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I like, I like the idea of a third gender. I'm, I'm a very science oriented person. And I, I think that, um, yeah, I think, I don't think that I identify really as a woman or a man as my neighbor downstairs will tell you. Um, I am, I am a man. I'll never be a woman. So. <laughs> that's, that's similar to my own child who, is transitioning and they are 23 and um, is not going to go fully to female. Rather, I think they see themselves as, as both neither more different, like just uh, non-gendered essentially in, in a traditional oh. sense. So I, I don't think any, anything that you're saying, anyone should feel anything bad about. I mean, I think it's, it's a wonderful expression of humanity. Oh, that is actually really good news. I'm so out of touch with the world because I'm afraid of the news and stuff. Yeah. I, I, um, I didn't know, but that's, but I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Well, you're not alone. No, certainly. I, I knew about your son, uh, or, or daughter or, or the, uh, they, but, um, yeah, sorry, go on. No, I'm just saying I, there's always going to be, you know, hate out there. There's always going to be people who are going to make issue of everything. But on the other hand, there's always going to be the people there that are supportive and are, are really just like you. And, and, and so it's just a matter of finding, you know, the right people to have in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I th- I'm really just happy to have you on the show because as your father, I'm sort of this, I'm learning about all this in kind of real time and, and also, you know, the issue of, of, of name and, and pronouns and all of those things. It's all, you know, it's, it's something that, um, we want to get right. And at the same time is, you know, it's something that I think you're probably working to, to figure out at, this, at the same time. Correct. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's exactly correct. Yeah. It's, we all um, are. Yeah, yeah, we all are, right? I, I, I'm kind of mad at the valley and at homophobia and and uh, transgender phobia and xenophobia in general that it, that it took me so long to find this place because, well, I um, I've never been so uh, 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 ter- ter- tumultuous uh, at any point in my life. I've also never been so fully. Um, uh, I guess I would say complete both sexually and um, uh, personally, but at the same time, that comes with a lot of depression, a lot of misery, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, people treating me like a pariah, unfortunately, it's people that I thought would be there for me and stuff, oh. which, 
people who, too, you know, consider themselves very woke and people whose names I won't name, but they know who they are. Um, and it it hurts. It sucks. I'm sorry. I'm just totally rambling. Please. Uh, no, not at all. Go on. No, that's this is this is important because I think, you know, we're we're getting a chance to see your process and, and, and understand it and understand, you know, what kinds of personal costs and things like that that you have had to pay which I, I think have been high. And I, so I wanted to ask you about that more specifically, like when you realized, you know, at the age of, uh, of 26 or whatever, that you had this gender mismatch happening and you obviously knew that there was this road ahead of, of, of difficulty, of struggle and of, of, you know, potentially betrayal and shame from, from friends and, and, and other people that you knew. How did you arrive at the process where you're like, I'm, I'm doing this because that's kind of a big deal. You know, I, I'm still not sure that I have arrived. I just keep getting prettier and, you know, buying better makeup and nicer <laughs> clothes. You know, I don't know. It just, uh, uh, but, but, <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I, I think, uh, What's 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 the what, what was your question one more time? Just the main the main gist of it. I is the, well, just a lot, knowing, a lot of things. you were talking about about how you know you were mad at the valley and you were mad at some of your friends and people like that and you must have known in advance that there would have been that kind of pushback and things like that and so to make a decision to to know that you would be faced with uh, all of this you know all, hate for want of a better word betrayal all of those things. Right. And knowing that that would probably happen. I'm just trying to figure out the, the, the process that you had to go through uh, the evolution that you had to go through to figure this is, this is what I want to do and it's worth it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I guess what I want to say is that, is that I could go the rest, I could have gone the rest of my life as a cis male, but I would have been really like never sexually fulfilled and we all know that sexual frustrations can lead to really awful things. Um, uh, I, I, like, um, I really feel like I could have made it. So I'm maybe not as, as powerful as some of these people who, really, really just like it's everything to them to like for their for their body to be exactly how they want it to be. For me, I just, I like the way people. Um, treat me. They don't. They don't. Uh, they don't come at me with with aggression anymore. Like I don't. I don't get challenged by men. I mean, there's there's a whole there's a whole female uh, uh, psychological uh, architecture that I'm kind of trying to to navigate right now. But uh, you know, I'd rather I'd, I'd much rather play mental war games with gals than than actual war games with guys. Um, yeah, I didn't. I honestly didn't know that these people were gonna were going to um, blow me off. I didn't think that. I thought I was going to be really supported, and I have been by, by my family, uh, uh, save one, um, my family, uh, um, and uh, one friend. Um, I haven't really told many people, but all the girls that I've told so far have... Well, you know, this is, you can't get any more personal, right? And more self than this. And it's, it is a very powerful thing 
to have to experience. I mean, I, I have not just Penn, but also I have a transgender son who I've watched struggle through it very, very close. And I've watched people really struggle with this. And it is deeply, deeply personal. And, and I think that's important to understand. And we have to approach it at that level. We can't just be intellectual about this, right? We have to see this is a very human, very human and painful experience, but also a very joyous one too. And I can tell you that Penn has really come, yeah. come like a long way, you know, it, since he, he started to transition and it's, it's something that we just have to kind of struggle through, but, but also embrace at the same time. It's, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I give you so much credit and you, you're very courageous and, 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 um, you know, you, you do have the support and the blessings of many people, even though there are a lot of assholes out there and there really are. And there's a lot of dangerous assholes out there. And that all the more important reason why the rest of us have to step up, you know, you know what? I, I, you know what? I agree with, with what you're saying so much on so many levels. Everything you just said, just 100% on the money. But, but in particular, um, I have I have seen so much support from strangers. I have been given so much support. I was I was on I was on Skid Row getting into my car because I'd parked there, um, and I was getting back into my car, and there's homeless people all around me, like. You know, and, you know, you tend to get more uh, bigotry, like, in the, like, lower financial classes. Um, and you'd think that, like, I would have been treated poorly or something, but, like, I actually had a couple of people approach me and say, hey, if anyone ever tries to fuck with you, just, just, just come to me and come to us and we'll fucking, we'll take care of you. They, it was just like, they basically wanted me to know that I was so not alone and that I was so, they had my back. They didn't know me. They didn't, they never were going to know me, but they loved me and they had my back. And that, that's like, that was awesome. That was just, and I've had so many experiences like that, that, that have outshone. In fact, I have had more in, incredible experiences with people that I don't know hmm. than I have had with people that I do know. Because yeah. I've had such bad experiences with that, for for whatever reason. Well, I, I, I that's just very powerful, and I think that uh, understanding maybe that people who are homeless uh, understand what it is to be oppressed, and I think that's why you're seeing more help there than you would from somebody who's like, I'm okay. I don't have to worry about anything. Right. And that was actually going to be my next question. Cause we were talking about, you know, betrayal and we we're talking about the impact of friends, you know, who you thought you could count on, but what about physical safety? Uh, and you live in Los Angeles, which is obviously a very liberal city, but you know, there's assholes everywhere. So do you feel safe in, in LA? Have you experienced incidents of discrimination or, or, or hate speech or, or violence at all? Um, yes, I have. Um, but not too, uh, I, I, I usually kind of blend. The only thing, the only problem is I'm really tall, but if I, if I was six inches shorter, I don't think I'd ever experience any of this kind of like thrown at me as they're driving by kind of hate, like fucking faggot, you know, Every, every, every person who's ever expressed themselves as anything but a cisgendered person 
before has heard fucking faggot screamed at them out a car window. Yeah. It's terrible. And, it's terrible. And, and, and you know, that that's, that's, um, it's fine. The, 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 the the homeless do seem to have like a lot of a lot more empathy than than <laughs> um yeah you know what i i i'm sorry you give me a lot to think about when you speak dad because we haven't even we we've we've, we've talked a, we've talked a lot since i started transitioning but this is a lot of stuff that i haven't even felt comfortable discussing discussing with my own internal dialogue mm. wow so this is well, if I get ahead of if I get ahead of you, let me stop me, please, because yeah. I'm just trying to I'm trying to give you a forum in which to speak and you know to, to 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 tell your story because I think it's a story that will be inspirational for a lot of people and especially in our circles, people who knew you, people who uh, you know who might not know about what's happening now to to get your to get your report because this is where. If we, we want to get to a place of acceptance and acceptance begins with those you love, those that are close to you. And I think that in, within the United States, you know, the, the, the growth and acceptance of, of, of gay, gay people, gay marriage, which still is nowhere near where it needs to be, but it's something like 65 or 70%. And a lot of it is because the haters had family. You know, the haters have family who's, who's, who are gay and, and, and now more and more. Uh, as more people are coming out, the haters will have trans family as well. Yeah. And so they have to start thinking about things like, you know, the, the fairness in, in sports and how, you know, if you, if you don't let, if you don't let transgender people compete and, and, you know, that's, you're making them second class citizens. There's all sorts of issues that are being brought up right now that the, the, what I want to talk about a little later with the, with children, you know, who are trans youth and, and yeah. all of that. So. Anyway, but if I get if I go too far with any of this, just please stop me. <laughs> no, 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 nothing's too far. I just I, I I think you're 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 uh you're asking some really great questions, things that I wish I I'd been asking myself. And I honestly I wish I'd talked to you about this sooner because a lot of it's really cathartic. I, I like just you know uh, letting my emotions out of my eyes just now really felt it felt good you know to do that. Hmm. Um, I think I was holding on to a lot. And, um, I would love to talk about everything that you just mentioned. And one more thing I would add to that list is I would like to talk about the life expectancy of trans people being, I've already lived three years longer than I'm supposed to. And I, I probably have that, that fact wrong. I know it's somewhere in the, in the, in their twenties is, is life, the life expectancy for the average trans person. That's because so many of them are murdered and, uh, so many of them, so many of them commit suicide and, uh, is it yeah. just murder and suicide or is there something else that's going on? Like, what do you think is going on there? Well, me personally, I can't, yeah, I, I'm not, I can't speak to, to the, to the actual reality of it, but I can speak to what I think it is. And I think it's probably just I don't think people know how powerful the things that they say can be. That's right. And I, I, I really wish I wasn't crying right now because I feel like it was, but. Well, it's okay because this is, this is real. Yeah, and it's okay. But, but I, I just, 
if you if you want to shout at someone something hateful, just say fuck you. Please don't say you're not a, you're not a woman or you're not a man because that feels like you're saying you're not a human. Your existence, your identity isn't valid. And feeling like you're not real is the worst feeling in the world. And when you're lonely like I am, and I think a lot of trans people probably isolate themselves, um, I think that someone saying something like that can lead to not taking care of yourself. And maybe you, you have an early grave just because you you die of diabetes or something, or or maybe you get driven driven to drug use, and I, I mean, I just think that um, just be careful when you tell someone what they are. Yeah, I think I I'm I'm really sorry. You know, it's like if this this is really uh, bringing up my protective instincts yeah. because I feel like <laughs> I would really like to you know. Uh, do something to people who have spoken to you in that way because it's wrong. But I think if there's any way to sort of reframe it, it would be to understand that I think for a lot of these people who have to say these hateful slurs and, and, and express that, that rage, it, it has to do with their own insecurity. It has to do with them. You know, they're, they're seeing someone who's expressing themselves. They're seeing someone who is, is, is out to the world uh, in, in a certain way that they, that, that is courageous and that they might not have the courage to, to do themselves. Cause you know, that the most homophobic people are people are, are, are repressed, are repressed gay. And, and, and I don't yeah. know what, if the same is true with gender, but I, I do know that I was reading a story the other day uh, uh, that was commemorating the, you know, in, international day of transgender visibility. And it was talking about this, long-term relationship that that had happened between uh what was originally a cis man and a woman and the Men cis man had, it Sorry, was, was had, the great story was going going into um a lot of a lot of cis men who had gender identity issues at that time would go into super macho professions like being cops or being uh you know in, in you know laborers or things that were super macho to to sort of hide I from from their themselves identity, right <laughs> yeah 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 so i thought that was and then and then of course this person did transition later and and there's now you know two women who've been together for 35 years and it's a really it's you a know, great success story. <laughs> yeah, Serena, I want you to know you're not the only person on this show that's crying. I am too. So I'm a wuss as well. We can be wusses together. <laughs> but it really touches a lot of what the fears and, and, and worries that I've had about the people that I love who yeah. are. And uh, I, it's, it's terrifying sometimes. You know, to, to, we live in such a hostile world. It's terrifying. It really yeah. is. And I can only imagine yeah. what it must feel for you and other people who are transitioning. It's bad enough for me. <laughs> you know. Um, well, you have. You said you had two two kids who were both both well, trans. Two two people. My own child and my godson, who I oh, okay. love very dearly, and also I know others too. I've had students. 
other family yeah. members. I mean, it's not, it's for me, it's a lived experience, you know, but I have to tell you, you know, coming from a very traditional Sicilian family, I remember years ago, I made this comment in a family gathering that, you know, statistically, <laughs> mom, uh, at least one or two of your children are going to come out gay because it's about 10% of the population. And she's, she's horrified at the times. Like, don't say that. Don't say that. And now the same woman is embrace, embracing her grandchildren who are trans fully without no holes bar. She's loving. Oh, she accepted them. It's amazing what can happen, right? It's amazing yeah. what can happen to people. And I think we're going to see a lot of that too, not just the yeah. hate, but also the love and the acceptance. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so true. So true. Very well said, and and uh, we really we really uh, the three of us kind of share a. Uh, uh, I mean, there's the only thing that's that's more personal than ha than being trans is having a trans child. I think so. You you guys are both. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> makes me livid when you know. I I just I just again the protective instinct is so is so strong. I just didn't you know. Uh, I just yeah, I, I get primitive. I, I get angry and primitive yeah. when 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 my child is threatened like that. I really do. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As as rightfully you should, and as rightfully Rangers should. I mean, I think that like I I, I get I get kind of scared. Of, like what I'm going to do if I'm like ever like uh, put in a position where I'm supposed to be uh, 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 defending myself against a man or a woman. If it's a woman and uh, I defend myself, uh, what, what, am I going to, ah, shit, I don't, I don't know. Like, and then if it's a man, I'm going to get my ass kicked because I swear to God, the hormones that are rushing into my body, I'm not even on hormone therapy, replacement therapy. And I'm like, like drowning in estrogen it feels like because all of my muscles have completely disappeared everything's getting softer it's like my body is like putting me on hormone therapy but anyway it speaks to this re very real issue where like i think if there's a trans person and someone's trying to fight them like maybe like a cis person could jump in and like save the day because I think that's probably the scariest thing for a lot of trans people is not knowing what the hell you're supposed to do in a situation where someone's trying to physically attack you. Yeah, well, that's that is, you know, and we know how bad the bystander effect is. People don't want to get involved and they really should. They especially have they especially should Just maybe in this one case because we're, we're we're frozen. I mean, I'm frozen inside and I think that I can speak for maybe 30 percent of the of the trans population with certainty. And maybe, maybe I'm speaking for everyone. I don't know. I'd have to hear. But the being paralyzed with fear that had something recently happen with, with a, uh, a neighbor. Uh, who, like, she's, like, asking me. I'm, we, we got into a, a shouting match because she spends a lot of time on the phone downstairs talking to friends about things about, about how all of her neighbors are idiots, especially me, and how I'm sick, and just just saying awful things, and I have to listen to that all day. And I've actually had to turn white noise on my laptop, because I can't stand hearing what a <laughs> fucked up, you know, like, I can't stand hearing it. Like, it actually drove me to the point of having a screaming match with this woman, and um, yeah. Again, you're not talking about a happy person. You're talking about somebody who's already got a lot of their own issues and they're projecting those issues onto you because you're, you're not obviously not doing anything to hurt this person. 
No, actually, when I first met her, when I first moved in and she was complaining, I, I offered to help build her privacy windows and everything. And what we argue about is, is and this is, this is the worst part, is she just, she just throws out this incredibly hurtful ball of fucking just red-hot hate and just destruction of my world willy-nilly like it's nothing saying shit like uh like 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 you'll never you'll you'll never be a woman like you'll never have what i have like like shit like that is so it's just such a so cruel thing to say it's really cruel it's really it's like first of all duh i fucking know like i i i get the fact like i'm really aware that i was born a man i'm not fucking insane yeah um, but well, you know what what's nice is sometimes i get to walk around in the world and nobody knows <laughs> and and that's nice that's a nice feeling so, yeah i imagine well, it is well and i wanted to talk just ask you one more time sure. if you could describe for our viewers and listeners compare the impact on you of the insults and the harassment that you experience as a trans woman uh, compared to the sorts of insults that you would get as a cis man. Oh, as a cis man, I just joked my way out of trouble always because, it, and then the few fights, uh, physical fights that I did get into, I lost most of them. Um, uh, but, but I just usually handled it with humor, but on the inside, I'm like, why is there so much aggression? So I actually, feel much less powerful now than I did I did then just in it when in terms of that kind of safety I don't know if that answers your question quite right I'm more thinking about the impact of how you know when someone we've we've already you've already you've already talked about this but just the 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 crushing insults when someone when someone says something that you know like uh denies who you are and and goes to the core of your identity versus versus the you know just sort of garden variety because I don't think that cis men can understand the impact that this has uh, when I and I'm watching you and I'm listening to you and I I don't think that most cis men understand what they're doing and I think they need to start understanding. Yeah, and, and you know honestly, the cis men, I I just have had really good experiences in L.A. It's surprising, but with everyone. It's 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 women that have been really aggressive towards me and and look I I'm not going to win any popularity contests for saying this for saying that I feel oppressed by women right now but I do it's just the fact of the matter like I had four very close friends four people in my life who were very close I was I was either very close to or I had very personal relationship with and um one of those four got the others together, like went out and took it upon herself to meet them and then come back and tell me about how they got together and laughed at me. Like, mm. like it's evil. It's fucking evil. I'm sure she'll fucking see this. She's like a stalker. She's a genuine stalker. And when I changed, when I went from being a cis male to deciding that I was uh, this third gender, whatever, it's like she, and this is going to sound so egotistical, and I don't mean it to come off this way, but she just bought, she just was, it's like now that she can't have me, she hates me. And it's not, it's, it's, God, that sounds so stupid. It's not, it's not, it's just like they're, they're mad at, I, I don't understand why else someone would be so cruel 
so fucking cruel to me just for changing. I mean, like, I don't know. It's, yeah. Well, they don't have to live in your skin. And um, it does. It probably there. Who knows? I mean, there's got to be a whole psychological ball of wax wrapped up in there between you know, jealousy between uh, of loss of, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff that, that you could think of, but I mean, I don't know the situation. I just, it just sounds again, like when this change happens, it, it, it does affect everyone around you, all of your relationships. And that's something that I think that, that everyone needs to understand and, and should give us more compassion, not less. And, and you know, you doing the show and being here is meaningful for because I think it will reach people, and I think people will open their eyes and say, "Oh, I didn't realize that." You know, like especially uh, you know traditional normative people <laughs> that don't have that lived experience. You know, and yeah. I think the more of that we do, the better. And I th I really thank you so much for doing this again. You're really courageous, and I, I really admire that. Thank you. And one, one, if I can say one last thing on this is the, the courageous thing. I so appreciate what you're, what you're, what you're, what you mean by that. I think that people who are anti-trans are, they're really latching onto that courageous thing and they're, they're disliking it because I don't know if it's necessarily courageous. It's just, it's hard. It's a struggle. And, and, um, if courage enters into it, um, that's fine, but maybe we need a new word for this kind of courage because I think I'm thinking back to myself as a cis person. This was just four, four years ago that I like was just certain that I was just a straight white male. And I'm thinking back to myself then. And, and I think I got a little twinge of annoyance when I, 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 uh, there's, there's courage of like going into a burning building. And then there's just like, I think like strength and and perseverance almost that that it takes to to to, to be who you want to be. I don't know. I don't know why. I, I think <laughs> I'm I'm kind of like uh, maybe I'm giving like like people ammo or something right now. But I just I don't feel courageous. I feel I feel like like I like I love I, I appreciate the support and I need it and and I love how many people have been good to me and I, I, I hate how many people have been bad to me, but yeah. I'm inspired by the difference between those two. I've, I've been treated well by an yeah. inspirational number of people. And I get what you're saying. I, I get what you're saying. Courage has got this sort of machismo thing with it. Right. And we, yeah, but we can, that's... we can reappropriate the word for what it truly can mean. Right. And that's courage of heart. And, 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 and maybe we should use a different word. I don't know. But like, I think that living your life, even though you're terrified, that's going to have some negative consequences, like the fear of being attacked and so forth. That's hard. Like you said, but to me, it's also really courageous, whatever word you want to use. I don't know what, what the hell word to I use, think, but I think perseverance is, yeah. is a good one yeah, because, maybe. because it's, it's going out and doing the same, you know, being yourself, doing the same thing the next day that you did the previous day, even though you got yelled at or somebody, you know, said something awful. Yeah. So uh, I think, yeah, just, it's just, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? COVID without COVID, I never would have become sexually complete. And I want to, I think I, it's hmm. hard to, you know, talk about with my dad on the phone, but, <laughs> but, you know, um, my, my, uh, my own personal sex sexuality was always very um, was always very about the other person. I was very much interested in their orgasm, and mine was like uh, 
like, okay, well, shit, if we got to do me, then let's, let's, let's think what we're going to do here. And just my, 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 my fetishism, like, danced around the idea, like, I think with an ex, I don't think I know, with an ex-girlfriend, we I dressed me up as a girl once and, and filmed it, and I wish, I wish I hadn't deleted it out of shame the next day, um, because it would be so funny to, like, go back and watch and see what that was like. But, when was that? Uh, that was back, uh, it must have been 2015 with, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, who I was dating back then. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not, not saying her name for any particular reason other than I don't know that she wants her name mentioned, uh, you know, anyway. Um, that's the other thing is, is, um, I was actually, uh, oh man, transgendered porn or as someone who might not as be, be as sensitive as two gentlemen like yourselves might say shemale porn or tranny porn and that's like a it's it's a weird that's a weird battle for me to try to fight because i i am still very much attracted to other women and trans women and men i'm attracted to all three i it it varies day by day i think I'm, men are a little bit more i'm a little bit more attracted to men than the other two groups but but it's just like by a very small amount and some days I don't feel like that's the case either. Like I, I feel flipped some days. I'm very omnisexual, pansexual, what it's called. Um, but 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 trans trans porn um, is. Damn it! I had a really good point and I lost it. <laughs> anyway, I, w- I was going to ask you anyway about your dating life. So you already uh, started talking about it, and I'm just wondering. Also, I think that for a lot of people, the, there's a security in saying I'm only attracted to X or I'm not attracted to Y, you know, and that sort of thing. And I think that, that again, it, it, the breaking of boundaries and the understanding that, you know, cause if you had just wanted to, if you had just wanted to date men, you just could have been gay. And that's not what this was going on here. So I think it's a very interesting, yeah. th- th- that's why yeah, I was trying oh, to get it into. Yes. Well, that's, that's exactly. Okay. That's a great point that I'd like to, uh, just take over from I think what exactly what you're trying to say is that is that if I, I could just be gay if I just wanted to fuck men or get fucked by men because I'm more of a uh, versatile bottom but um, I I like the way I like I like wearing a purse I like I like that I'm treated more like uh, like I'm not someone who's trying to aggressively come at you I like that I'm treated like in a manner that is like not someone who wants to fight all the time, which is what I got as a guy. Like if I'm ever the alpha male at, at, in a situation, just like there's so much aggressive male energy being thrown at me, which happened, you know, I was, I was playing rock music. So sometimes I would be the alpha male. And then I just immediately just, ugh, it's just awful negative energy. So what you're saying is, yes, I could have just, been gay and this is about so much more than that it is about so much more than sexuality it's about Hmm. it's about being who you want the world to treat you like it's it's about it's about like i don't know being able to handle the world on a day-to-day basis and knowing how where you feel like you fit into it and then running with that it's like like uh, that's beautiful yeah. yeah yeah i love it i was just love thinking it. that too yeah very well said <laughs> Thank you. uh well i i wanted to ask you 
prior to the show, because you kind of already answered this question, um, but prior to the show, how many people from your old life (laughs) knew that you've transitioned? And and also, if you consider this kind of your coming out on the show. Oh, yeah, I guess I am coming out on the show. I I, I haven't been on Facebook for a while. Um, I've like posted like maybe like like three messages in the last like two years and they weren't about anything about this. So, yeah, there's probably going to be like. 300 to 500 to a thousand people who had no fucking clue and are going to be all like, so that's what happened to Lawrence. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's going to be kind of a trip, but I, I think it needs to happen at some point. And this has been so cathartic. You guys having me on, I really appreciate it. I, I hope it can be helpful to some people. I, I, I really hope that, I'm not alone in this struggle because I think that's loneliness is my biggest, uh, one of my biggest hurdles. So it would feel nice to not feel so alone. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, it is. Um, and you know, uh, you're not, I, I, this is even like, I, I struggle with even what to, to say in this show because I actually, I know more than there's more than two people that I love that are, you know, trans and I, I am trying to respect not, you know, revealing anybody before, you know, they, you know, they want to or whatever. So it's like, there's more people, if whatever reason this has caught on, this has become part of our society. People are transitioning a lot more now. And, you know, people can say it's a fad, it's a trend and all that, but I think there's a lot more to it. I really do. I think there's a lot more to it. I, I, I think that it's a trend. It, it may be a transition in our entire, um, our entire, uh, uh, it may be the next step in evolution or psycho, psych, 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 psychological evolution for us as humans. Um, we get to choose how violent we want to be. Uh, that's what it feels like to me. Huh. Cause I, I never like wanted that, to yeah. be violent at all. And, and, and this feels like a great way, like, Okay, this is what like uh, a a person from the valley would say. Like, oh, you're a pussy. Like, yeah, you're you go out and fucking suck dude's dick. You fucking faggot. It's like, okay, that's cool. You just enjoy your macho cheese and cheese love, whatever. <laughs> no, I you know I like I hate dudes like that. And it's the whole thing I think about it is, is that. Does. At this point. In, in order in order to be a, a man you you need to also demonstrate the ability to be vulnerable yeah yeah and true and that's like i that's a, a part of my identity is like i don't you know i fucking cry in movies i cry sometimes when i listen to music and um, i yeah it's, dream, i definitely like to get him <laughs> yeah I so i watch star trek sometimes come on <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it's like if you're if you're if you're walling off that whole part of life, why? Why wh- why are you afraid as a man to be vulnerable, right? And so, um I think for for and and it all has to do with social acceptability because I think for women, you know, this is more socially acceptable. And I know you didn't you didn't go through all this just so that it could be more socially acceptable for you to be vulnerable, but I think I think it is key what you said there about the violence because because all the violence in the world is well the vast majority of it is perpetrated by men we know that yeah and you yeah. know and war war come on i mean it's all it's all fought with these you know penis bombs and missiles 
right? Yeah. That, are, that are going and destroying the world, right? And we're seeing that in Ukraine. Guns look like penises, you know, just everything. I swear everything. to God, we must be a fucking parody show to some aliens. I swear to God, they like, <laughs> yeah. got it right. Season seven, episode something. Like, we're Earth is a TV show. Like, we're just a parody of ourselves. It's insane. We're just throwing dicks at each other, basically, because yeah. to show how manly we are. That's what Putin is. Yeah. You know, You're a fucking the, person yeah. Putin. There's a new book that I, I can't remember the name of it. I'm sorry, but it's about it's an anthropology book. It talks about how humans domesticated themselves by using the strategy of getting rid of all the aggressive males. Like it, it, it tends to be this sort of cohort of men who are very, very aggressive, and society can figure out ways of, of dealing with that. You know, through sports or whatever. It's certainly better ways than just killing people. But and anyway, that's what we should do. But there is this idea that. In a way, to become social, to become human, to have civilization, we have to have, have we have dealt with this propensity in humanity that we have these really aggressive males that just cause trouble. You know, I don't know. I haven't read it yet, but it's an interesting idea. I, 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 yeah, and you know what? A lot of that, a lot of the worst of those men. I mean, I'm not saying Putin is secretly gay or anything, but what if he is? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Okay, oh. we had we had this guy growing up in the valley. He was. I'm I'm not going to say his name, but uh, if he ever watched this, I, I I he was he was a great great uh, friend to me growing up. But he was extremely homophobic and aggressive about it, and he fought a lot. He was one of my brother's friends, and um, now he's. Uh, I I've heard that he's you know he's openly gay, and and, and I, I that's yeah. last I heard. I think you know that he's. A, openly gay and enjoying himself and enjoying life. And he, and he has none of that anger, but I'm talking about the kind of guy who had, uh, he constantly had blood on his knuckles. Like it was, well, this is key. This is a yeah. key point. And that yeah. is that repressed sexuality only seems to come out in utter rage and violence. And that is, it, that is, I think, I think that's across the board. And, well, and but, it's, it, but I would take a, a step back because why didn't it come out that way for me? It came out for me in just like this secret shameful behavior of like watching trans porn and like, you know, so, so I, I want to hear, I actually want to hear your opinion on that. Why did it come out for me as not anger, but like how it some, comes out for some people as anger, but for others as shame. I think, I think the difference, the distinction there is that you were involved in an introspective process and a lot of other people are involved in a repressive process. And I think that, that the repression is what causes the, the rage to come out. Whereas if you're, you're going, you're going with, within and, and looking into this and dealing with it internally. Yeah. I also think there's no such thing as one human nature. I think there are human natures. There are different propensities. So, so different men, different women, uh, are going to have different natures about this and react different ways. I think just in, innately, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Well, you know what I want to do? I want to, I want to have another show. Maybe we can do it uh, where we have Penn on as well. We have you on and we can talk more about some of these I philosophical would, things. I would love that. I would love to meet your child who's, who's trans. As, as that would be so cool to like talk about this kind of stuff with someone. Maybe, maybe, maybe it would be cool to, 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 to introduce us uh, beforehand. Cause I would want to, you know, sure. Be sensitive to, yeah. To their I know, people. I know Penn would love to meet you. You know, so that'd be yeah. great. Yeah, cool. that's a, that's a wonderful thing to do. Yeah, yeah, Thanks yeah. For and we, you guys really appreciate. Yeah, it. we have to wrap it up for time, but I just I I am so grateful that 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 you did this, and uh, I will 
call you Serena, even though you'll always be my Lawrence. Um, I'm still going to call you Serena because I think that is who you are. And uh, as as your dad and as just a fellow human being, I want to offer every possible level of support that I can. I mean, you're so beautiful and you seem so at peace with yourself. And I'm just so very proud. So thank you, dad. Thank you. I am very beautiful at peace with myself. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed to come off as uh charmingly self uh, basing well simultaneously cut <laughs> I get that. Um, thank you All for right. having me guys thank you for having me yeah. strong ending always go absolutely please come back please come back and yes we'll yeah. make it happen again for sure looking forward to it Radical Secular Podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defoe, Sean Prophet, and Joe Okipinti. Logo and main title designed by Tim Stetner. Post-production and original theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team, Lindsay Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field Okipinti. Okay,